I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Right now, Tennessee's General Assembly might not look a lot different than it had in recent years, but it's st- it's still overwhelmingly white, male, and Republican. And this session, this session, pardon me, there are actually fewer women serving in the Tennessee legislature than in previous years. But there are some new faces, and with them come new ideas. They represent a new generation of leadership, and they're already challenging politics as usual in our state. Later this hour, we'll hear from two Democratic freshman legislators, State Senator Charlene Oliver of Nashville and State House Rep Justin J. Pearson of Memphis. But first, it brings me no joy to share that somehow this is the final week at Nashville Public Radio for Mr. Blake Farmer. Oh, man, the news is out. The news is out, my friend. I'm feeling the love, though, I'll tell you that. That's right. Thank you. A lot of love. You know, Blake is a Nashville native who's been chasing local news and telling heartfelt stories for WPLN for 18 years. He is our team's longest-serving reporter, one of our city's most recognizable voices, and no hyperbole whatsoever, one of the country's best radio journalists. Thank you. you but you really don't have to take my word for it. One word I would use to describe Blake is gregarious. Personable. Tenacious. Industrious. Tireless. If you crossed Mr. Rogers with Conan O'Brien and Ron Burgundy from Anchorman, that's Blake. I swear, I think you could send Blake out with a microphone to go interview a rock wall and he'd come back with an interesting story somehow because he'd somehow even though it is not even a living creature he'd get that rock to tell something great while working so hard he also just shows a lot of character he's not so preoccupied with the fact that he's working hard that he forgets to be kind daddy yes daddy yes what do you mean? I, I was seeing if these microphones are working they seem to be working just fine there are of impactful stories that Blake has done over the years, but the ones that I'll think of when I miss him are probably the ones that made me laugh, including the one where he was pooped on live while recording the Purple Martins. All right, got pooped on again. I'm out of here. Hey, Blake. What's up, Blake? Hey, Blake. We're We're going to miss miss you. I just want to say how much your kindness and your crazy jokes and your smiling face have made uh, WPLN a better place. And I think I'm not alone in saying we're better for having worked with you. Those are the voices of some colleagues past and present. Nina Cardona, Blaze Ganey, Bradley George, Daniel Potter, Jason Moon Wilkins, Julia Ritchie, Alexis Marshall, LaTanya Turner, and Paige Flager. For the past four years, Blake has been our senior healthcare reporter. And just last week, one of our colleagues praised him for how much amazing work he's been doing in his final weeks on staff. So before we let Blake go, he is with us for one last segment, this time for an exit interview. Blake, welcome back to This Is Nashville. You know, you, you're you getting going with a bang here. Thank you. You are the bang. <laughs> now, okay, so, you know, which one of us is really going to get emotional doing this? It might be me. I don't know. You know, uh, I, do, I do remember my first day here. You took me to lunch. We did we, go to lunch. And we had a really wonderful conversation. You spent the big bucks at, at, at you know, Jersey Mike's. <laughs> 
And it was just a great conversation. I felt very welcome. Well, thank you. For you to be here. So, okay, so as we mentioned, you know, you've been on the health beat for the past four years. Mm -hmm. And you've delivered important investigative stories that really show us how much of an expert you have become. But you started making an impact on the healthcare beat right away. Take us back to the reporting you delivered on Alzheimer's back in 2018. Yeah, uh, you know, it's been interesting to look back at, at stories that, that uh, make you proud over time, and sometimes they're less expected. I mean, this one's not particularly hard-hitting. I, I got to sit in on a support group, um, and, and that was the sort of big end, that they let me come uh, into this group where they talked very uh, sensitively about uh, being the caretaker for a husband with Alzheimer's. And one reason this story still sticks with me is how much trust they had just to let me in on some very sensitive moments. Often, the nights become a breaking point for caregivers. Alzheimer's patients will pace the house or wake up their partner every few minutes confused about what's going on, or worse, they leave. You know, it was not possible for us to keep Joe at home. I mean, it just wasn't an option for us. April Simpkins still needs to work, and her husband Joe was inconsolable at times. Just before he came to Abe's garden, she'd be up all night calling his siblings so a familiar voice could calm him down. Or he'd be yelling in the hallways of their condo building. Once she even had to dial 911. And yet, she felt some pressure to almost become a martyr. I feel like a lot of times um, there's a lot of, I don't know, in, in lack of a better word, glory given to the whole idea of someone being long-suffering and staying at home and caring for their loved one, you know, and giving up their life, basically, to care for their loved one. And it makes it harder for people who can't do that. There's almost nowhere else you could talk about this kind of tension and be understood. Yeah, I remember that's the ending to that story. Even uh, a April, uh, after they had this group, she went into the facility, Abe's Garden, where uh, her husband was. And um, as we were going in, she confessed that she no longer came to see him as much as she used to, but said that it was a sort of cruel blessing that he, he no longer noticed if she wasn't there every day. Mm. You know, a lot of your stories, they really stick with people for years. But were you always this good? <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, to say, well, all right. Uh, any way you answer that question uh, it probably doesn't come out the right way. I, I have <laughs> improved. I will let you know that. Okay. Uh, but no, I got started. I went to school in Abilene, Texas. And uh, on campus at Abilene Christian University was KACU-FM, mm -hmm. uh, which was the public radio station for the big country of Abilene and, and all of West Texas. And so uh, they let students, uh, you even got paid to, to be an on-air, uh, I guess host is the right word. You, you basically did what we call rip and read, a little... Uh, you know, pull a few stories in from the Associated Press and make a little newscast. And uh, that's where I got started. And it, it, uh, it is it's it's cringy to to listen to because I was very trying very hard to sound like a radio man. You do sound <laughs> like a radio man. Okay. Well, I had to try harder. I don't know what, what's happened. I either have become the thing I wanted to be or I have, you know, I, it's just natural. I don't know. Uh, it's a little bit of both. I think, yeah. you know, we such a small staff. You got to cover everything. Yeah. But, you know, you had some specialties over the years, including a lot of military coverage out of Fort Campbell. I want to play a clip from that coverage. It's from 2011. And a warning to listeners, it's a heavy subject. Now, Blake, you reported on how soldiers were being evaluated for traumatic brain injuries before going back into active duty. You witnessed an intense battlefield simulation and found that it triggered difficult memories. Let's listen. We're going to need probably... 
blood. He lost a lot of blood. As the sound goes down and the lights come up, Staff Sergeant Nicholas Smith stands in a pool of red looking at his hands. I mean, I've had soldiers' blood on my hands before, so it's, uh, it's just like, you know, it takes you back there. There is blood everywhere in this room, and you're saying this is no exaggeration. When you have a mascot like this, it's everywhere. The only so. thing difference is no one's crying. No one's screaming, Mom, or get me out of here. It's... That's the only difference. That's Sergeant Patrick Cummings, a big guy with a serious face who says he's surprised by his own reaction. It kind of brought tears because of just, I was there. I was one of these patients before and just, just hit home. Wow. How did you feel after you were done reporting that? Well, it, 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 I mean, as you heard, even in the moment, I was asking, I mean, there's blood all over this room where they had been piping in this these uh, loud sound effects is actually the soundtrack from Saving Private Ryan. Mm. And uh, and there was blood everywhere. And, and I realized that these guys, this is what why, the last time they had seen something like, like this was when they had their own traumatic brain injury. It was a pretty powerful moment, even just being there in the moment. Mm. Now, you know, as you gained more experience, there were, was there a certain mission or mindset that really guided you through your reporting? You know, I, I just always was looking for a moment that uh, that you could only uh, tell this story in in radio or in audio because, um, you know, investigative stories are good, but it's really hard to be, to uh, come up with audio when most of what you have is like documents and things. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's like being there at Fort Campbell. Good grief. So many stories out of Fort Campbell. There's just amazing action that's occurring and you get to just sort of uh, you know, go around figuring out the best way to kind of harness the, the action um, and then tell a story about something important that's going on. One of our editors suggests conservatively that you've probably done around 3,000 stories for that's the station. <laughs> yeah, I think it's quite possible, you know. And, you know, while many of them were serious, there's one unusual one that has become legend. Okay, so tell us why is a story about frogs so memorable? Oh, my gosh. Well, I really, I mean, it's crazy that when people say, What's, what story are you proud of? You know, I did a story about frog gigging once. Uh, why? I don't know. There was, there was a theme that NPR was looking for for national stories called Summer Nights. And I thought, you know, I've never been frog gigging. That's another thing that guides my reporting, something I'd actually just like to do, like ride in a helicopter, okay. go frog gigging. So uh, it's this unusual pastime. I mean, it's basically frog hunting. But of, sort, of course, uh, it only happens happens overnight, uh, and so uh, I went out. I, I guess we're going to listen to a clip. I was coming in as fast as I could. The more deadly half of this duo is Boyd. Instead of a paddle, he wields a 12-foot bamboo cane with four barbed tines on the end, his homemade frog gig. On his head, Boyd wears a miner's headlamp. The light freezes the frogs. Well, we're looking for their eyes, and you'll see that white chest on them facing you. With the target in his sights, Peebles swings the boat toward the bank, and Boyd gets his gig about six inches from the dazed frog before it's lights out. Actually, they don't die right away, usually not until it's time to clean them for cooking. Hmm. 
I recognize the moment is not comfortable for everyone. In fact, uh, when it originally aired, I, I heard uh, the folks at, at uh, the mothership in D.C., there were a few who were also uncomfortable with even airing this story. But, you know, a big part of it's what's kind of chronicling, uh, you know, this pastime, which is, is has certainly been passed down from generations in many families in Tennessee. Are you leaving us to become a frog gigger? <laughs> you know, I have never actually gigged a frog myself, I, I don't think. Okay, now, you know, reporters, they usually don't appear as characters in their stories and don't always share what it's like doing this work. Looking back, what's a memorable experience you had out in the field that really stuck with you over the years? You know, I, I'm not a big sort of like uh, tales from, you know, the front line kind of guy. But uh, it, uh, one that I do end up telling often is that in 2010, when we had this massive flood here in Middle Tennessee that changed so, so many things, um, you know, for it was a small newsroom back then. And, uh, you know, for weeks, uh, I was just out in the field, as we say, you know, looking for stories and telling stories. Um, and uh, for those who recall, we were very concerned at the time about our water treatment plant in Nashville because we we have two, but one of them was down because it was it was flooded. They're both right by the Cumberland River. And the Omahundro plant was the only one we still had going. So one morning I went down uh, to check on it because there was really that's the only way you could figure out what's going on. Parked my car on the road nearby, just started walking toward it. And there's a guard shack, but there's no one in it. So I just kind of keep walking. And then uh, as I'm getting closer to the facility, this golf cart comes up next to me and, and these security guards are demanding to know what I was doing there on this uh, supposed supposedly secure property. Of course, fences had been washed out and all sorts of stuff. I explained that I was a reporter. Uh, they did not like my explanation, made hmm. me sit on this wall. They call Metro Police. I'm thinking, am I going to get arrested? I literally have a deadline for a national story. It's supposed to be on that afternoon. Fortunately, the water director, Scott Potter, was on site and he walks by and I'm like, Mr. Potter, can you, can you tell him I, I'm a reporter? And, uh, you know, Scott Potter vouched for me. And I had never told that story on air, but it certainly is one that I, I've, I've shared uh, widely. <laughs> OK, you know, while all of our listeners know your name, they may not know all of the roles you played here, including as a reporter, a host and as news director. You've meant so much to this institution. Thank Blake. You. What stands out to you about how this newsroom has changed in the 17, 18 years you've been here? Well, uh, what's amazing is how many people there are to do great work. I mean, um, there was a time when it was like, well, who's going to do it? I'm going to do it because there, there's only a couple of reporters here. Mm. And, and now there's stuff that happens uh, in this building. There are projects that are going on that I barely know anything about until they're about to go live. Um, you know, this show that, that goes on every day, I have almost nothing to do with except that I come on every once in a while and talk about stories that I'm working on. It's this whole operation that is that is uh, just uh, been spun up because of the generosity of our listeners. And we, we don't just say it during fundraising. We mean it that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this community has built up this station and it's incredible to look around and say, uh, I'm amazed at, at what this place has become. You know, a lot of the team here has learned so much from you, really. Well, thank you. We owe you a lot. I can safely speak for everyone here and for many of our listeners when I say that you will be missed. Is there anything that you want to say to Nashville and Middle Tennessee? Well, um, you know, I think about uh, I, I end up talking to so many people when we're out doing what we call voter voxing. And this is essentially uh, accosting you after you have cast your ballot, uh, often during early voting and said, hey, well, you know, Blake Farmer, work for Nashville Public Radio. We're talking to folks about what got him out today. Um, 
And so many times people are like, usually people want to are willing to talk. But um, there was this one woman in Smyrna this last uh, go round who who really wanted to say something, but was like, I don't know if I should. I said I caught myself saying, hey, don't worry about it. I don't know if I would talk to me Mm -hmm. is what I told her. Um, And it got me thinking, would I talk to a journalist who 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 called me, who 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 came to me, who, who was trying to get some opinions on the street? And I don't know what the answer is, but I am so glad that people do. Because, um, you know, being a journalist is such a privilege that sometimes I don't recognize because I've been doing it for so long. Um, you know, I've been thinking about when I first started, a kid out of college with an audio recorder I got for my birthday. Hmm. And as I'm working on these initial stories, I'd call people, tell them I, I'm a reporter. And in my head, I'm like, am I? I? I don't even have a press badge. But over time, you realize what makes you a reporter is that people are willing to talk to you about nearly everything like they do on the show every day. Mm-hmm. It's on their worst day. It's on their best day. They tell you a story they wouldn't tell their closest family members. They trust you to maybe leave out something uh, that's too sensitive to be included uh, on the air. You know, uh, it's just the the point is that our stories really are the stories of the people who talk to us. I mean, they're only as good as the people who are willing to share information, share their stories. And so I, I guess what I'd say to Nashville is just continue speaking up, you know, there's going to be another me uh, very soon. And there are uh, a, another dozen folks uh, in our newsroom who uh, need to hear your stories. And so uh, I would just ask that you you speak up. Blake Farmer has reported for Nashville Public Radio for 18 years. His last day here at the station is tomorrow. And he was gracious enough to come in for this exit interview. Blake Farmer, thank you for everything, sir. It's been a ride. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with two of the youngest members of the General Assembly. Do you have questions for State Senator Charlene Oliver and House Rep Justin J. Pearson? Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. A long time ago, a political science professor told me, always know who your state politicians are. Why? Because their work will have a greater impact on your life than any other office holder. He was right. National news grabs headlines, but at the state level, our representatives and senators hold tremendous power to address the needs of their constituents. And that would be us. It's a demanding job with a lot of people to answer to. It's also a position that we don't often see young people in. Here in Tennessee, the average age in the General Assembly is roughly 55. But two first-time members represent a new generation of leaders at the Capitol. Both come from backgrounds in activism and community organizing as well. Charlene Oliver represents Senate District 19, covering North Nashville and parts of East Madison and Goodlettsville. She co-founded the Tennessee Equity Alliance, registering people of color to vote and advocating for issues that affect the black community. Justin Justin J. Pearson was just elected to House District 86 in Memphis. This was a vacancy left by longtime Tennessee Representative Barbara Cooper, who died at 93 years old after ballots 
had already gone out last year. He co-founded the grassroots organization Memphis Community Against the Pipeline in response to a planned crude oil pipeline. Senator Oliver, Representative Pearson, I want to thank you so much for being here. Welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you so thank much, you. Khalil. And great to be on with the senator. Really great to have you both here. Now, Senator Oliver, I want to start with you. When you were elected last last November, you beat out some pretty established Democratic politicians like former council member Jerry Maynard and Ludie Wallace. Your win was a little bit of an upset to the establishment. Tell us, what motivated your run? Um, for me, you know, I've been organizing across the state for a number of years and I, I listened to the people. I, you know, understood the issues that were going on across the state. And I heard people say loud and clear, we need fresh, bold, new leadership. And that's what I ran on. Um, I, you know, as, as Nashville has continued to grow, a lot of people have been left out of that growth. And I have championed working class issues, poor folks all my entire life. And so when I ran, I ran on a message that we don't need any more lobbyists. We don't need any more people who are responsible for the situation that Nashville sits in as we try to now take our city back from developers and outside interests. So that's what I ran on. And that resonated with people that they saw a message that was authentic. I told my own story as someone who grew up as a single, uh, with, you know, under a single mother who has experienced my own uh, hardships, whether it was poverty or depression or reproductive justice issues as a sexual assault survivor or as someone who has literally gotten it out the mud. And people saw themselves in me. And that's what I ran on. I, and I believe I was tired of the same old, same old. If we're going to change Tennessee, if we're going to change the way and the direction that we're going, we're going to have to disrupt. We are going to have to do some things we've never done before. And that means run for office. I've never run before, but I, I already knew I had the tools in me. Uh, I was prepped for this. I was built for this. I've been through things that that let me know I understood the issues. And I do believe I'm right where I need to be. You just shared a little bit about your past with us. You were born in Little Rock, Arkansas, but you went on to land a scholarship to attend Vanderbilt. How did navigating that very traditional institution like Vanderbilt, how did that help you prepare to navigate similar spaces like the state legislature? Oh, man, you hit it on the nail. I mean, it was a culture shock for me uh, going to Vanderbilt. I didn't know anything about Vanderbilt before I got there. I never heard of Vanderbilt until I got into a, a program called Arkansas Commitment that took uh, pretty much smart black kids in public schools and uh, taught us how to take the ACT, taught us how to uh, apply to schools we never heard of. And thankfully I got uh, a full ride and I had went to an all black high school. Mm. <laughs> I was around my people. And so I the when I got to Vandy, I saw people driving uh red BMWs pulling up as a freshman. And that was that was eye-opening to me. And I struggled my first year. Um having to adjust to that culture. And they, there were times where it, they made you feel like you didn't belong. Like, mm -hmm. um, I tell the story all the time about walking 
to class. Um, if you know anything about Vanderbilt's campus, there's these pathways that go um, in between uh, buildings and it directs you to the entrance. And uh, it's a closed off campus. So there are really no streets. There's just these pathways to walk. And I vividly recall like never wanting to walk off the sidewalk into the grass because um, if I saw students, white students coming toward me, in my head, it was like, look, I'm not getting off the sideway sidewalk to move around you. You have to walk around me because subconsciously for me, it told me that I belong there. I belong here and you're not going to move me aside. So that was the attitude that I brought to the state legislature. I'm walking these hallways. I deserve to be here. I've earned it. And this place, let's, you know, tries to make you feel like you don't belong. Um, and so I'm going to stake my claim. I'm going to make my presence known, which is why I wear bright colors. Um, mm. You'll see that a lot. So it's a way for me to disrupt. Now, Representative Pearson, at 28 years old, you're one of the youngest members of the legislature and mm. one of the very few millennials. Yeah. How does it feel? Great. <laughs> I wouldn't be any other age, Khalil. Uh, I am really fortunate to be of service to District 86 uh, in uh, Shelby County in Memphis. Uh, and it comes with the responsibility, you know, a significant portion of my district are elders. Uh, and I believe the responsibility of people who are millennials is to both bring new, fresh energy and ideas and to carry the wisdom of the elders with them as well. And I believe uh, helping to hold uh, what might be a seeming dichotomy is important because it's because of folks who marched and protested and they got us here. Uh, and is that type of energy that we need now in this moment with all of the troubles and challenges that we have in Tennessee. You know, a lot of people talk about clear political differences in the General Assembly, but what about the generational differences? I'm curious. Mm -hmm. well, it's quite extraordinary, the differences between generations. I mean, we could talk about dress code and things like that, but it's really in the belief system. I believe there is a, a system of white supremacy that has reigned in uh, Tennessee politics for a long time, and most recently throughout this era of separation and divisiveness, it's only grown. And uh, for people who are younger, who are part of something that's more inclusive, uh, has varying belief systems, uh, values, diversity for a body uh, that is majority white and majority male. In the House, you have to know this, in the House, there are only, uh, on the Democratic side, two women. One is white, one is black. Total, they're about 10 out of 99 in a state that's 52% women. Mm -hmm. And so you have a generational problem because of the perspectives and the ideas that people have grown up with is an ideology of, of, of patriarchy and white supremacy, and that's a problem. But quite literally in representation, we have a problem uh, that all Tennesseans are not represented in the uh, state legislature. And that has to change by people running for office. But ideologically, we have to change in the way that we resist and in the policies that are being pushed, whether that be dealing with third grade retention, whether it be trans uh, uh, laws or the health care uh, that are also a part of a new generation of people who are saying our government, we deserve better government uh, than what we've been getting. How about any similarities? What similarities have you found in your time at the state assembly? Mm -hmm. I believe everyone is here to represent uh, their constituency. Uh, what that looks like uh, is quite different, and how we address those issues is substantially different as well. At the same time, I think we have a, a responsibility to fight for justice. And for a lot of people uh, and who are representing uh, their particular counties or areas, uh, the similarities are going to be that there's injustice happening everywhere. 
I'm working on legislation right now dealing with concentrated animal feeding operations, which impacts rural communities. I have a small part of my district uh, that's rural in District 86, uh, but it's a lot of white communities and black farmers and white farmers who are being hurt by huge industries and corporations like Tyson's building huge uh, chicken warehouses, if you will, in their areas, destroying the water, polluting the air. And so I think bringing those issues to our representatives who are different parties and things like that is going to be important for us to get just legislation passed. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Colonna. We're talking this hour with State Senator Charlene Oliver and State House Representative Justin J. Pearson. Tweet us your questions for the candidates, for the for our, our officials, pardon me, at This Is Nashville. Now, Representative Pearson, have any older members, mm-hmm. have they reached out to you to help you get adjusted? Yeah, I, I'll uh, shout out Representative Johnny Shaw, uh, who also preached today during uh, the prayer and devotional hour this morning. And he was remarkable. Uh, He's been very helpful in talking about how do you persist and how do you resist, right? Uh, The injustices of this place to be uh, successful. And uh, I just, and he's also my neighbor uh, Uh, (laughs) on on the fifth floor. And so uh, he's been extremely helpful uh, in this moment. Senator Oliver, in 2019, the Tennessean did a profile on you. In it, Howard Gentry, Davidson County criminal court clerk and former mayoral candidate, called you, quote, the now generation, end quote. What does that mean to you? Mm. You know, every, uh, uh, I carry with great responsibility and every generation has that moment that wakes them up, that compels them to act, whether that was uh, Emmett Till um, back in the 50s that spurred the civil rights movement. For me, it was Trayvon Martin's murder. And uh, that murder happened two days after my first son was born in 2012, in February 2012. And so for me, it's about the urgency of now. It's it's not waiting for someone to say it's your time or not waiting to sit around and see what else somebody else is going to do. It, for me, it's about right now. It's about what are we going to do in our lifetime to bend the arc just a little bit more uh, towards justice. And um, that that is the representation of what I'm trying to do is uh, show people that you don't you don't have to come from a certain pedigree or have wealth or these connections. It really takes all of us and just inserting ourselves and getting in the way um, to, to to have justice in this country. Uh, so that, for me, I appreciate the, the designation, but it's not just on me. It's on all of us to make sure that this state is better and this country uh, make sure that everybody can thrive. Last week, WPLN political reporter Blaze Ganey did a story that went Pretty viral. It was about you, Representative Pearson, and what you wore during your swearing-in ceremony. For listeners who may have missed it, you wore a dashiki, which mm-hmm. is a traditional West African garment. First, can you tell us what it meant to you to yeah. wear that? Uh, it meant uh, a lot to me uh, because I recognize and realize that I did not get here alone, uh, that there were ancestors who were kidnapped and tormented and tortured across these shores. Uh, and enslaved in this country who built it. Uh, That's the state of Tennessee and the United States of America included. And to where the dashiki was paying homage to people who came before, 
whose prayers and tears and sacrifices and, and fights is what got us to the state house uh, and the response right, of uh, the uh, white supermajority was to go find another job. Well, let's hear a little bit of what Representative David Hawk from Greenville had to say. And I remember being a young legislator in this House of Representatives that Lois DeBerry would stand back there at least weekly, if not several times a week, and remind us how we must have respect for this legislative body. And part of that respect is how you look and how you appear. I showed up one Monday night on two wheels trying to get in here, and I did not have a tie on. And she reminded me, Representative Hawk, if you don't have a tie on, you don't get to walk in that door. And as we honor the, this legislative body, I, I'd like to think that we honor Lois's memory and, and how we look and how we treat each other and how we give the respect that we hope to get back. Now, Representative Hawk is referring to the, then mm-hmm. there to the late Lois DeBerry, one of the longest serving members of the Tennessee House of Representatives and the second black woman to serve mm-hmm. in the General Assembly. Mm-hmm. Representative Pearson, what's your response? Uh, it is an unfortunate use of Speaker Pro Temp D. Barry's legacy uh, to attempt to use it as a bludgeon against uh, a newly elected, newly sworn in uh, young black uh, representative. But here's the here's the reality: if you want to honor uh, someone's legacy, if you want to treat people with respect, then let let's do that uh, legislatively uh, as well, and not just talk about people's clothing. Let's not pass laws that disproportionately harm poor people, right? Let's ensure that we expand Medicaid so that everybody has access to a doctor. If we want to respect the legacy of Lois DeBerry, you wouldn't have a third grade retention law that we know is going to disproportionately harm poor kids and black kids, especially in Shelby County. The reality is you want to respect the legacy of of, of Speaker uh, DeBerry, then you have a responsibility to do that with the power that we have. But instead... What happens in this uh, situation, what is happening, what we are resisting is the codifying of injustices. We're resisting the codifying of inequities. And to honor somebody and someone uh, like Speaker Pro Tem DeBerry, then let's do the work of making justice a reality and not we're not uh, spending so much time talking about uh, dashikis, which folks like me are wearing to honor those who made our pathway possible. I saw the picture. You looked good to me. I appreciate that. Yes, sir. Now, you know, both of you come from these activist backgrounds. I'd like mm-hmm. to hear from both of you on this. What was the transition like? Mm-hmm. And how how does that background inform your approach to office? Senator Oliver? Yeah, as you say that, I get a little triggered because I, I vividly remember during the campaign, I got attacked for being an activist and saying that activists um, can't don't make good legislators. And I have to wholeheartedly disagree. We need more community organizers um, leading um, in legislatively and running for office because we make some of the best representatives. You know, I like I tell people, don't call me a politician. I'm a public servant because I think there is a difference. Um, I'm not here to showboat and perform or, you know, try to look towards the next reelection. I truly have the, the people's interest at heart. And if that means I'm going to stand on something and I'm only here for four years, then so be it. But in these four years, I'm going to do the best that I can. And um, 
you know, I just think that activists bring the people's voice. We are on the front lines. We are in tune with what um, everyday grassroots issues um, people have and want to see in the change. And so I think um, we bring that perspective and we don't, we're not beholden to anybody. I pledge to not take corporate PAC money uh, because I truly am going to be working for my bosses, which are the people who elected me. And that gives me the leverage to, to speak in a way and, and operate in a way that um, some people may not be able to do that up here. So um, I do think that activists bring some of the fire that we need and the fight that we need up here to stand up against this white supremacist culture that's in this building. Representative Pearson. Yes, I don't see a transition. I am an activist. You can put a dash maybe. I'm an activist legislator. Um, the reality is institutions don't change on their own. It's always been people power that changes what people who are empowered to vote do inside of those institutions. And remaining proximate to the folks in District 86 and to the issues that we have and the issues in our state of Tennessee are extremely and uh, extraordinarily important. But the reality is to be an activist legislator means that you know how to change institutions. You know how to be proximate to people and to help elevate the voices of the communities that we have organized in and that we have worked in in order to make change happen. And so I don't think there's some transition necessary because this isn't, you know, some 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 career ladder that you're just going to jump and you got to do this differently or that. Mm -hmm. It's actually it's the exact same skills and it's really the proximity to the people that we have to retain which folks who um, make becoming a politician their career, they lose over time. And so I intend to be an activist legislator that fights uh, uh, laws like the third grade retention law, that fights for environmental justice, that fights to ensure that criminal justice reform happens so that killings like the one down in our community of Tyree Knuckles and so many others don't happen. It is to remain actively engaged in this process alongside uh, our community. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with State Senator Charlene Oliver and State House Rep Justin J. Pearson and talk about their legislative goals for the 113th General Assembly. What questions do you have for our state lawmakers? Join the conversation and tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking this hour with two of the newest and youngest members of the Tennessee General Assembly, State Senator Charlene Oliver from Nashville and State House Representative Justin J. Pearson. Both come from activist backgrounds. Before the break, we talked about their paths to the Capitol. Now, let's talk about what they hope to accomplish now that they're setting into these new roles. Thanks again to you both for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. Now, we got a tweet at This Is Nashville from Stephen Baggett, who says, quote, how can someone who isn't super politics savvy learn more about how Tennessee, how this Tennessee state legislature works? And what can we do to fight the legislature that doesn't represent us? End quote. That question I address to you, Senator Oliver. Mm. Um, that's a lot of question. I mean, uh, one what you can do is show up, um, you know, this, this, um, 
legislature is set up in such a way to keep people out. There's no parking here. The committee hearings are uh, happen during uh, work hours. Um, it's not the welcoming environment that it should be. And so I encourage if you can, if you have that privilege to show up, uh, we don't see people in this building enough. It's floating with lobbyists, but not regular everyday people. And we got to get in their faces to let them know we're watching because a lot of this um these bad bills and this, these injustices happen because no one is getting in the way. Um, no one is actually um, making their presence known. And I shouldn't say no one, because we've got some really great um, coalition groups and people in this state that are busting their tail to stop what's happening. Um, but it's not enough, right? It's not enough of us. And we've got to be organizing on the outside. We've got to be in rural communities talking and having conversations. We've got to be paying attention um, to the to the stories coming out of the legislature and what's happening. Because um, it's it's hard. You know, the media has a hard job. Um, we, they work hard to silence reporters here. And uh, we need people to, to live stream and go, you know, come up here and show what's happening. But also we got to we got to do one more thing. It's not enough, unfortunately, to just vote and just vote in presidential elections. Um, the only way we're going to change this in this bad supermajority that we're in is to vote these people out. And we have to be in coalition to do that because it's we're such uh, we're in such a silo of, you know, say a Democratic city of Nashville and Shelby County. Um, but we've got to be working in coalition uh, year round um, and to 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 organize. And so uh, we've got to do one more thing. I just challenge people if you're voting and that's all you do, do one more thing. Volunteer on a candidate campaign. Donate to some of these candidates. Um, it's hard to find talent in this state, um, you know, like do one more step that makes you uncomfortable. Mm. And until we start getting more people to pay attention and get off the sidelines, I think that's when we can start feel the tides turning. Um, but right now, it kind of feel, we are outnumbered, but that does that should not stop us or have make us feel like we're defeated. We're never defeated. And they know that they are that what they're doing is short lived and they will be outnumbered eventually. Mm -hmm. And um, their days are numbered and we we've got to keep at it. We've got to stop, keep continuing to show up and not give up. OK, so today at 3 p.m., there will be a hearing for a bill that would cut the size of Nashville's Metro Council in half. A lot of local leaders have criticized this bill as an overreach by the state and a retaliation against our city, which means mm -hmm. which leans more liberal than Tennessee as a whole. Let's listen to some of what Speaker of the House Cameron Sexton had to say. Well, I wouldn't call it Bigfoot. And what I will say is the, the state has an obligation, the General Assembly has an obligation by a state constitution uh, that we are the overseers, oversight of all local governments in the state of Tennessee. And so we take that job very seriously. Um, we have a great state that's performing best it's ever been. We, we're um, uh, look at lowest tax, least debt, um, most jobs, best economy. Um, and so we just want to make sure that we don't um, get progressiveness in these cities that will limit businesses wanting to come into our state. All right, so question here for both of you. What does it say about the direction of Tennessee where two of its biggest cities are targeted by state lawmakers. Justin Pearson, you, you're you're laughing kind of about this. It's unbelievable. I had not heard that. We don't want to get progressiveness in this state. That's what he said. 
he used the perfect word, overseers. Mm. The super white majority of the state legislature operate as overseers in our state. In cities that, yes, predominantly lean more liberal, but for Memphis, it's also a place that's majority black, African-American. And there's always legislation that preempts us. There's always things that we say we want uh, rent control. The state says, nope, no rent control. We say we want a living wage to raise people wages. Nope, you can't have a living wage. You can't have things that would actually lift the quality of people's lives. And so if your litmus test for what a good state is, is based on the economics of capitalistic plantation economy exploitation, then maybe Tennessee is doing great. Mm-hmm. But if it's about the 600,000 people who are below the poverty line, 60% of whom are white in this state, if it's about the 17 hospitals in rural counties that got closed because we didn't expand Medicaid, if it's about the, the educational injustice and inequality, the lack of people being able to own houses because out-of-state town investors are buying them up, if you're really looking at the quality of people's lives in Tennessee, there is no way that you say that we are the best we have ever been. But if... The mentality of the the speaker and of the super white majority in our state is about how they can oversee the progressive people, how they can stop any progression really happening to lift people up out of poverty or to help us live better quality lives. Then the situation we are in, the status quo we have, begins to make more sense. But it is a it, it's terrifying. You know, the legislature is increasing increasingly weighing in on socially divisive issues like gender affirming health care. Mm-hmm. Abortion. Mm-hmm. Senator Oliver, how do you see this trend impacting what kind of bills get attention and ultimately passed? Uh, well, it's a shame that the the divisive social issues is what gets media attention and what gets people riled up and uh, you know makes the headlines. But these aren't these aren't the real issues that people care about. These aren't the issues that should be the business of government. Um, These aren't bills that are impacting, like Representative Pearson said, the quality of life positively of people. Um, These are distractions. Uh, These are bills that that have real dangerous implications for people's lives. It will kill people. If women cannot give birth or if women can't make the choices themselves for them for their bodies and for their health, um, it will kill people. If we let more people have guns, if we let 18-year-olds just walk freely to have guns, it will, and they know this. Um, and so this is these these issues aren't what we need to be talking about. Um, yeah. Now, during the State of the State, Governor Lee briefly touched on the killing of Tyree Nichols by Memphis police, but he didn't include any new proposals specifically addressing police violence. Representative Pearson, is there any legislation or policies you think are needed? Yes. And right now I've got uh, two pieces of legislation that we're working on. One is related to data transparency. We need to know who is getting stopped over and why. Uh, We were told that Uh, initially by Memphis Police Department that uh, Mr. Tyree Nichols was stopped because he had ran a stoplight. And later, even the chief of police said, I can't find a reason that he was stopped. But it was a pretextual traffic stop. That's what we know, which means if you look suspicious, i.e. you are black, African-American, man or woman, uh, then the police have the right to stop you. 
these pretextual traffic stops are part of the problem with policing. We need to stop police from interacting with people as much as we can. But we need to find have data transparency about who they are stopping. The other thing, another thing is to uh, uh, monitor the records of law enforcement. If you get fired in Knox County, we don't want you to come move to Shelby County and become a police officer or a sheriff or be, in part, be a part of law enforcement at all. And lastly, we need to find more ways uh, to have fewer interactions with police. A mental health check shouldn't require the police department. In fact, a, a, a law enforcement uh, officer or traffic enforcement officer would be better than a police officer for some of these traffic stops. You don't need a gun to tell somebody to tell lights out. Mm. And so I do believe there are legisla- there is legislation that needs to be put forward for increased accountability, for training changes. But ultimately, we need a culture that removes uh, the over-policing that we have and the connections that people have, particularly black people and poor people have with law enforcement. Now, Senator Oliver, you've also worked on legislation to address police violence. Can you talk about that? We got just about a minute left. Um, can you be more specific on what we're talking about? On legislation to address police violence. I'm not sure if, if uh, that is, if we're talking about the same thing, I'm, I don't necessarily have a bill to address police violence. I'm not sure, but I'm happy to support uh, any legislation like Representative Pearson said that, um, you know, brings more accountability to police, especially after after what happened in Memphis with Tyree Nichols. Um, we do need more legislation that has more accountability and transparency. Um, you know, there's there's bills right now to ban and abolish community oversight boards across the state, mm-hmm. and that does nothing but um, allow the police to police themselves again, uh, which the, the that was the whole point of these oversight boards, to have subpoena power. Um, so, no, uh, I, I don't think those types of bills trend us in the right direction. That is State Senator of District 19, Charlene Oliver. She was joined by State House Representative Justin J. Pearson of Memphis. I want to thank you both for taking time out of your busy days to talk with us. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Cliff. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, get your motor running and head out on the highway. We're talking about Nashville's biker culture. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. You can listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harouche, Rose Gilbert, and Magnolia McKay. Our digital lead is Anna Gaigos cannon Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Blaze Ganey and Julia Ritchie. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. It's very, very easy, y'all. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Lake Colonna. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.